0: Thanks for downloading this episode of On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at ontherecord, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com.
1: Welcome to our listeners on social media today and across the web with new software and web services evolving all the time. How do you keep your professional skills current in the modern workplace? When you learn to use a new piece of software or or a web service to do something, how do you retain that information? And if you attend professional development workshops or conferences, do you find yourself challenged by the pace? Is it either too slow or too fast? Our our guest today is Michael Nennis. He is the Vice President of Content at Lynda.com. He's been there uh, five years, and uh, he's gonna talk to us about online training. Michael, welcome.
2: Hey, welcome, thank you.
1: So talk to us for just a minute. Give us just an, a, a brief snapshot overview of Lynda.com, what it is, what it offers.
2: Sure, so Lynda.com is a subscriber-based website where you can access a library, we call it the Online Training Library, of video tutorials on a variety, a wide variety of courses. We currently have 1,100 courses available online. And as a subscriber to the library, you have access to the entire library of content.
1: But you didn't always have 1,100 courses, right? So where did it start? And talk to us about how it's grown.
2: Sure, so the Online Training Library for Learn.com launched in 2002. We actually started with 24 courses back in the day. And it's $25 a month to have access as an individual user to that library of courses. Um, Back in the day when we first started, we published maybe two courses a month. So every month the library grew larger. Um, Fast forward 10 years, and we now publish 24 to 30 courses a month now. And all throughout that time, the pricing has never changed. It's still $25 a month. So every month the value of a subscription just continues to grow.
1: Now, when I was in school, my favorite classes were typically taught by my favorite instructors. What makes a great online training course?
2: There's a number of of contributors. One, at least our philosophy, the, the way we run our content business is we always seek to find subject matter experts. They're not just trainers, right? They're working professionals in their area of expertise. Second, they just have to be unbelievable instructors. They have to be good teachers. It's the marriage of those two things that makes our content such high quality. So we're looking for instructors that just have an innate ability to take the complex and make it simple. The other thing that we really try to do is not just teach the how, but also teach the why. I mean, everyone's heard the, the phrase, you know, if you teach a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach him how to, to fish, he'll eat forever. Uh, or something along those lines, if you give a man a fish, and, as, as opposed to teach them. We're very much in the, the, the business of teaching you how to fish so you can be self-sufficient once you've watched the content.
1: Now, the lynda.com courses I audited were, were definitely polished, but they didn't feel stiff. And in fact, I would even say the style of the instructors seemed kind of informal. Yeah. And I wonder, is that by design or was that just the courses that I saw?
2: No, I would actually think across the board that is by design. It is meant to be conversational with you. You know, we do not speak down to our members. Uh, we like to be conversational. We like to be real world. We like to be generous and genuine. Um, it's just as if you and I were talking right now. I mean, that's that's what we strive for. We're not looking for you know experts that are sages on the stage, if you will, and are very uh, selective about the content they're going to share with their audience. We look for authors who are wanting to give it away. You know, they're, they're, they're motivated by giving as much information as possible and that their students actually learn from that.
1: Now, uh, in the world of online learning, so, so you guys started with these 24 courses. What were the 24 courses? What types of courses were they?
2: Back in the day, they were mostly in the uh, web and creative design software. So, you know, Photoshop, Illustrator, Flash, I think there was a course on typography and a course on color, um, but for the most part, they were centered on web design. And then over the years, of course, we've expanded and branched out into a wide variety of other topics.
1: And you've expanded based on
2: uh, member demand. I mean, okay.
1: So, for... talk to me about demand because you guys started a while ago, mm-hmm. and back in the back in I guess 2004 it was 2002. Yeah. Okay, so in 2002, you know, the idea of providing online training for software is probably not not a huge leap, but now you're doing, you know, not just graphic software, but all sorts of software. Talk to us about how that demand expanded. What were the first subjects that people wanted, and how did that grow? Sure. So, you know, the the, the core
2: uh, beginning that Leno.com started because... You know, in 2000, 2001, Linda Wyman and Bruce Haven, the founders and owners of the company, were actually running a hands-on training lab um, for in-person courses in Ojai, California. And This is before the, you know, the dot-com bubble burst, and this was kind of a grand experiment. They didn't know if it would work or not, and it turns out it worked, it worked beautifully. People from all over the world came to take these courses. And then, of course, 9-11 happened, and people stopped traveling, and the dot-com bubble kind of burst as well. And so, what ended up happening is the, the Bruce and Linda kind of had to rethink their business. And they, at this point, had been recording content in, for sale on VH tape, you know, VHS tape, videotape, because not everybody could fly to Ojai and, and take these courses. So, they were selling these videotapes. And they just decided to put their um, library at the time, this offline library, and put it online and make it a subscription based service. And obviously, you know, it took a while to get traction, but from the very beginning, it was a successful and novel idea at the time. And once subscribers, you know, started taking courses, they wanted courses on photography and general design and video because video online itself was burgeoning and becoming very popular. Um, As the web evolved and became more of a true discipline and art form and craft, you know, Things like HTML and CSS and JavaScript and jQuery and WordPress and Drupal, you know, all these ancillary ancillary topics. Uh, as the industry grows and changes and evolves, our members now look to Linux.com to keep up to with that and make sure that we always have current content on the current technologies that are uh, they're shaping today.
1: And I noticed actually, I checked out uh, one of your uh, online trainings for social media. It was a course on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you had the new Twitter search, there was, seemed like it was totally up to date. Um, so I guess you're constantly updating these courses. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: part of our kind of explicit uh, expectation and promise, uh, both expectation from our members and promise we make to them that when we publish a particular piece of content on a given topic, as it revs and gets upgraded and updated, uh, it's our responsibility to keep up with that as well. So certain courses, um, what we call software as a service courses. So things like Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, eBay, WordPress, you know these things that aren't shrink wrap desktop software. Um, those vendors can update all their services tomorrow. You know, The minute they do that, you know, we work with our authors to get those courses updated to reflect the new changes in the UI and feature set as soon as we can.
1: With 1,100 courses, how do you stay on top of it?
2: Well, luckily, we're blessed by you know, a member growth that continues to grow, and that finances our uh, continued expansion and content. We are 100% member funded, um, so we all like to say around here, Linda.com, we work for our members, and as we continue to get more subscribers, that enables us to grow into other areas that they're wanting us to expand into.
1: So, in terms of, you, you mentioned um, that uh, you know, people can request you know, courses that, that aren't available. Uh, what are some of the most requested courses?
2: Oh, uh, things into the developer area. Um, we've done a lot of content in the past on web and interactive technologies and web design and development. Uh, I think with the explosion of mobile and application design for mobile, so things like the iPhone and Android, is, of course, there's a real strong interest into traditional programming languages and principles of, pr- of programming. So things like Java and C Sharp and Objective-C and Xcode. Any geeks out there will understand what those technology terms are. So there's a big, big demand for uh, content that teaches people how to do that. Also, there's a big demand from traditional publishers on how to get their content online in different mediums and different formats. So digital publishing is a big driver as well. And then from, you know, just marketing professionals and anyone who's running a small business, you know, one of the fastest growing areas of of us to keep up with is just the use of social media in general, not just how to use Twitter for yourself, but how to use Twitter for business. And one of the courses that came out, um, we've actually already updated it um, twice, is social media marketing with Facebook and Twitter. And that course came out of directly from people who had watched our Twitter essential training and our Facebook essential training, and said, wow, these, these courses are great. They taught us how to use Twitter for our own personal you know, communication with our own networks. But how do you use these in the context of a small business? You know, How do you extract value from having a social media presence? So that course was developed straight from people writing in saying, okay, what do we do next? We took the Twitter course. We took the Facebook course. How do we apply that to our small business?
1: Um, talk to us about mobile uh, because... You know, everyone's focused on uh, these emerging countries, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China. And, uh, you know, we saw for the first time this year uh, the sales of smartphones and tablets outstrip the uh, number of PCs sold. And uh, the analysts are projecting that traffic on the mobile web uh, outstrips traffic on the stationary web um, uh, by 2013. So, I mean, first of all, when it comes to training on the small screen, what are the unique requirements of teaching somebody on a smaller screen?
2: Well, it's, it's actually pretty amazing because the, the, the pixel resolution of these devices is quite extraordinary now. I and mean, if, t- if you look at a smartphone like a, an iPhone or an Android-based phone, the pixel dimensions and resolution, even though they're a smaller form factor, they're still high enough where you can actually get the conceptual training uh, and points being, you know, presented in the content, even on a small device. So for us, in terms of, you know, presenting an option for mobile, it's just to make sure the aspect ratio is correct. So things are not squished or, you know, stretched anamorphically or something like that. But even on a decent, you know, iPhone or or Android device, the screen cap content that we create, the screen capture content shows up, you know, relatively well, especially, um, well enough to understand the concepts. And of course, if you have a tablet, the resolution of a tablet device almost is you know, as high as you know, one of the smaller monitors out there. So even though the physical size is smaller, what you see on the screen is still the same amount of information, it's just smaller, but sharper.
1: Um, at this point, I imagine you, you know when you're learning how to use software, you know you have to watch the demo, pause it, and then go try that in the software on your machine, and then go back to the demo. Do you foresee uh, a day when there'll be like some sort of a digital sandbox or a simulation area actually in the training, you know, where you can actually try using the software right there in the training alongside it? You know, I've seen experiments in
2: that in the past. I think it's a it's a technology issue. Um, for an app for that to work inside an application, say something like Photoshop or office, you know, an office part or something like that. Those products themselves have to have APIs, um, uh, application interface um, networking systems, um, and a rich development um, SDK so that you can actually tap in it and drive the application, right? So it's not just a video playing within the app itself. What you're talking about is, okay, here's an action that I want to see done in context of the application as if someone's taking over the mouse and actually driving the app, that's. I think that can work in some applications. The problem with that is that it's pretty labor intensive and there's a lot of coding involved in order to make that work. It's currently, at least for the time being, it's just simply easier to have an author sit inside a booth with screen capture software and a microphone and just capture it and show them as they're doing it. You know, It's funny you mentioned about the mobile and the tablets. What we're finding is a lot of our members who do have tablets are actually watching... Uh, Linux.com on their iPad, let's say, next to their laptop or their desktop machine, the training be- you know the tablet becomes that second monitor, if you will. So they're not constantly doing this window switching back and forth on a single primary machine. It's almost this use case that's just fallen out of by accident. They happen to have this nice form factor in an iPad or you know other tablet, and they just sit that sit you know put that on their desk, and they're able to pause just with the touch of a screen try it out in Photoshop or Word or whatever application they're trying to learn, and when they're ready to move on, they just tap that tablet again and move on.
1: Now, I noticed that you know, there's a, f- a f- very even uh, standard with respect to production value across all the classes. Are they all produced there at your facility, or are they produced all over the world? How do you keep that, yeah, that quality, that, how do you control quality? Sure. So, yeah, Linda.com
2: does produce all of our own content. You know, we're not a content farm. We don't aggregate from, you know, 18 zillion different sources. We take pride in the content we create. We vet our authors. We have a strict uh, author review process before an author actually becomes an uh, an approved author. They come to our facilities. They work with our training producers. They're in our studios. Um, We go through a rigorous testing process as well. Every course is sent out to uh, a quality assurance team. Uh, Those people actually go through the courses as if they were actual members, no problems in in the editing, things we missed. If they catch things, we go through a second round of editing. All that's done before a course is actually published.
1: Now, on an episode of the Xylem podcast, uh, and we'll have a link in the show notes, George Siemens argues that the future of online learning is not necessarily instructor-led on-demand training, but rather a more chaotic, participant-organized event, and uh, obviously we're all using social media more and more to share and learn with one another. Um, How do you see uh, the, I guess, collision of social media and instructor-based learning changing the world of e-learning?
2: You know, it's interesting. I actually agree somewhat with the person you referenced there, I, I, but I don't think it replaces instructional learning. I think it enhances it. So I think there's an element of um, privacy and community at the same time. So if I'm learning something, and I mean, one of the things that online training provides is I can do it in the privacy of my own home, I can do it in the privacy of not having other adults or people around me who might think I'm silly or for not knowing something already. So I think there's a time where someone wants to learn on their own time, at their own pace. And then there are other times where people want to interact with others because the community adds to the learning experience. They can ask questions. They can get in debate about it. They can say, hey, I I got stuck here. Where Where did you get stuck? And they can get into a dialogue, and that dialogue actually becomes part of the content experience as well. So I think it depends on the modality of the learner and where they're at in their learning process. Sometimes you're going to want to do things solo, Sometimes you're going to want, to want that, you're going to want that enriched experience of working with others. Online makes that a lot easier. You know, right now, you and I are collaborating over Skype. Right, That was unheard of 10 years ago or maybe 15 years ago. So we're able to have a, a community experience here, even though it's just you and me. You know, if you look at something like Google Plus now or even iChat where you can talk to you know, up to 5 to 10 people on video all at the same time, Again, I don't think it's a replacement of what's happening today. I just think it's another tool in, the, in, the, in the, the learning toolbox, if you will.
1: Now, globalization and technology have increased productivity largely at the expense of workers. We're all being asked to do more with less. And when I go to a conference, it's not uncommon for me to have to sit through a bunch of stuff that I don't need to hear to get a nugget or two that actually is useful to me. But I'm also a social media trainer, and the toughest part of that job is finding and teaching to the center of the room, which means the advanced users are underserved and the newbies are left in the dust. Can e-learning solve this problem?
2: Oh, I think it already has. At least we have for our members. Uh, At Learner.com, we don't believe one size fits all. You know, we have a, a library model where you're not paying for individual courses, you're paying for access to the entire kit and caboodle. So, what that allows us to do is provide multiple voices and multiple approaches on the same topic. You know, if you look at a topic like Photoshop, it's a very complex product. It's used by, you know, a huge plethora of different types of people, from artists and photographers to designers to architects to forensic specialists and so forth. So a one-size-fits-all approach would never work for a product like that because the audience is so diverse and different anyway.
1: But um, Photoshop is such a huge product. There's so much you can do with it, um, and if I just want to sort of get in and get the one piece of information I want and get out, you know, that might be difficult if I have to do that through a linear format.
2: Well, it's it's a really good point. I th- actually think what I like. Um, most about how we structure our content is that we do not force someone to actually watch a course from beginning to end. All of our courses are built in a very small, bite-sized manner. The bits and bytes themselves can be watched from beginning to end in a linear way, but a large percentage of our audience doesn't actually use our library that way at all. They have a very specific question. How do I do X in Excel? What's that one formula? Or how do I use styles in Word? Or ah, there was this transition in PowerPoint that I, you know, wanted that I saw someone. How do I do that? Or how do I, you know, increase my followers on Facebook? Those are all individual questions. You don't have to watch an eight-hour course to get a five-minute answer. You know, you can go to the library. Every single course is broken up into, you know, typically five to eight-minute chunks, all appropriately named. And you can just either search in our search field for that one question you're looking for. All of our courses on lynda.com are uh, transcripted, meaning they have close captioning transcripts available. All of those transcripts are actually indexed by our search engine as well. So you can actually search for a particular term. You'll actually get the results back of what video that term is actually mentioned in with the time code where it's actually mentioned. And then you can actually just click on that time code and jump right to that point in the video to hear that specific term that you were asking about
1: that's awesome and i want to talk more about that but we're going to take a quick break when we come back the future of online learning the gamification of online courses and how to build your own online custom training site when we return stay with us
3: what i had seen was you know you could do these webinars for an hour here and two hours there and it just didn't feel like it was enough like i i just felt like i needed to be more absorbed into something for a couple of days just completely immerse myself the hands-on nature was absolutely the home run for me bringing my laptop and as you're walking us through something we are doing it you know setting up our own blog or exploring google reader or whatever it was to actually be doing that because certainly I've been to computer-related courses before where you sit there with a book and a piece of paper, but not actually plugged in, and that was really valuable to me to be doing it as we talked about it. So much better retention-wise, um, so that was good. Lots of good resources. I, I you know bookmarked <laughs> so many things and find myself you know it's over a year later I still refer to those bookmarks. And then it was just an interesting combination of people in the room. I mean I'm the small, tiny little consulting firm, and I'm sitting next to the woman from Pepperidge Farms, <laughs> and yet I felt like I learned from her, and I think she learned from me, and of course, we all learned from you, so it was it was a really neat dynamic of who was in the room, even though we were a small group.
1: If you're ready to get serious about social media, train your people, train yourself. The war against digital illiteracy will not be won through social media conferences, keynotes, panel sessions, or PowerPoint. What's required is hands-on training. Join me for my upcoming hands-on training tour presented by Social Media Today. This September 2011, I'll be in New York City, Chicago, and San Francisco. There's only 30 slots per session, and you can sign up at www.socialmediabootcamp.com. Now, the conventional way of discovering information even online was through directories and then of course through search and increasingly we're finding information through activity streams inside social networks right so are activity streams and social networks a better way to locate information than directories and catalogs and I guess the larger question is is content that's organized by hierarchy being outmoded and if so what type of model might take its place?
2: Uh, the first part was um, discovery of content that's relevant to you I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I mean that's the value of a social network right There are circles upon circles of people gathering around common interest so that in itself is a perfect you know uh, way to up level or discovery or discover or highlight content that's relevant within that circle. The issue, though, is that those circles come and go. They expand, they shrink, they disappear, uh, and then they spring up tomorrow all over again. I mean, that's just the nature of the social web. So I think as long as you're uh, adapting your content delivery strategy to uh, adjust with that uh, ebb and flow, I think that's a great place to to live. I think, again, I don't think it's um, an either-or situation. I think the way people can um, communicate with each other the way they can communicate with their networks and their communities, and the way they can discover content is always gonna be expanding. I mean, five years from now, we will have you know, a ton of new tools and social you know, sharing technologies that don't exist even yet today. So I think the real answer is, do you know who your audience is? Do you know what their needs are? And are you building content that's relevant to them? What the internet provides is a, is a great leveling field. It allows anybody to be a publisher and anybody to attract an audience if you have inter- something that's interesting and of value to, to, to listen to or to watch.
1: But if it's on-demand programming, if it's, if it's online training that's on-demand and everyone consumes it at a, at a different pace, um, how do you marry that with a social network where people want to know what's happening every second and they want the answers immediately? They don't necessarily want to wait because everyone's not on at the same time
2: sure I mean you're making a distinction between synchronous and asynchronous content you know and availability so again a a, a pre-recorded type of piece of content uh, could work for either one depending on what the scenario is or what the piece of information that someone needs at any given time the other angle of course is you know the live webinar type thing and that that can work that can be appropriate if to your point everyone who's interested in that particular content, whatever that's gonna be on, is all online at the same time and available to have that discussion. So again, it's, it's not an either or, it's what is the objective, when do they need that content, in what context do they need that content, and does the content even exist?
1: I mean, do you think, uh, does it make sense at some point to have an activity stream in the course right beside the course?
2: I think that could make a lot of sense if it added value to either the learning objective or the post-course learning objective. So, if someone wants um, critique, okay, I've worked on a project that this course has guided me through, and now I want, you know, um, feedback from my peers on what it looks like or how it performs or the decisions I've made on this particular project. You know, that's a perfect example of where a community can come in and add. To, and enhance the value of what I've learned, because now I get I get a positive feedback loop. In fact, there are sites out there, at least in the creative space, that are designed to do just that. It's, it's outside the context of training, but if you've heard of a site like Dribbble, for instance, you know Dribbble is where designers can post a project at any stage of development and just, hey, peer group, what do you think of my work? Give me feedback. Is this the right color set? I mean, is the, you know, make the logo smaller. I'm making a little joke there, but you know, that's the nature of online communities. You can use them uh, in, in a variety of ways. In the context of training, your question about whether community or I think you called activity streams can add value. Uh, absolutely, again, it depends on the context.
1: So this uh, Dribble site is like a GitHub for graphic designers?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting way to put it, yeah.
1: Now, in the corporate training world, one of the biggest challenges is keeping people interested and you watch some of these online compliance trainings that these people have to sit through, and the production value is so stiff and clunky, and your mind can't help but wander. And increasingly, you know, we're seeing um, recruiters now start to develop games to help qualify candidates. So how do you see games dovetailing with online training in the future?
2: Well, actually, you're you're touching on a particular... um, I don't know if pet peeve is the right term, but something I'm actually really passionate about. And that's, you mentioned compliance training. I, fundamentally, compliance training fails not because of the production quality that you mentioned or the issues thereof. It fails because nine out of ten times, maybe even higher, the person that's sitting in front of that content is there because they're being told they need to be there, not because they want to be there. The engagement factor has little to do with the production value. It's the motivation of the learner themselves. I mean, I haven't met a person on the planet yet who I've said who've asked, hey, have you had to take compliance training? And they said, Oh, of course. And I said, Did you enjoy that experience? And they just kind of look at me like, well, of course not. That was a stupid question. Who likes this stuff? I think the difference for Lina.com, our members are here because they want to be here. You know, the majority of our members are, you know, paying for that service out of their own pocket or their business is paying for it. And they're learning. They have their own personal learning objectives. Right? They've made a promise to themselves to learn and grow. And they come to Lynda.com because there's a platform that enables them to keep that promise to themselves. Now back to gaming, the reason gaming is a very effective um, tool that's going to, I think, revolutionize learning in the years coming ahead is that it utilizes uh, multiple senses. It's engaging, it's reward-based, there's progression, especially when you compile that or um, add group and collaboration learning to that. I mean, one of the most effective examples of online learning is something like uh, Warcraft, you know, the the group game where teams have to actually work together to accomplish a common goal, whether that being, you know, killing a monster or whatever, whatever the, the objective is in the game people are starting to wrap their head around what that means and how they can apply that to quote compliance training by turning it into something that is one is engaging but also involves a group of people to accomplish a common goal.
1: Well, let's say that one of our listeners is totally jazzed by what you're saying and they want to go. They're ready to go, they're they're sold. How would they do it? I mean, are there any platforms out there to support compliance, you know, the ability to build a game around compliance training because I mean you look at these LMS systems that are out there and they'll give you a, a multiple choice question or something like that but I mean they're they're very rigid in you know what they provide and there, there doesn't seem to be like a game engine for training is there does one exist
2: uh, I, I certainly don't pretend to know the entire universe of, of technical solutions out there there might be one um, I certainly don't believe that LMSs are quote a gaming platform um, they're just a, you know, a basically a, a database of uh, a delivery mechanism for content. Whether the content is engaging and compelling or not is independent of whether or not it's in an LMS. I think um, it's a rich opportunity for you know, the future. I think you will see a gaming engine for content, uh, for learning objectives if one doesn't already exist, coming into the field. Um, it's something that Linux.com looks at uh, as, as something potential to invent for ourselves. Um, everything we've always done, we've, we've kind of invented from the ground up. Um, if it makes sense to uh, you know, look at a technology solution that's out there or will come out in the future and see if that adds value to our members, well, we'll definitely take a look at that.
1: Michael, final question. Um, I want to talk tech for a minute. For those organizations that need to train personnel in proprietary processes – that are specific to their company, and perhaps they want to train people online and they want to do it behind the firewall. What technology is available to help them do that?
2: Well, it depends on what they're trying, you know, what their aspirations are and what their uh, delivery mechanisms want to be. Do, you know, do they just want it to be screen cap? You know, where they just record someone using a screen?
1: Let's say what they want to do is deliver content, have some sort of assessment, and then certify.
2: Well, then you're looking at some sort of LMS solution where it, that's built around that type of content, um, and there's plenty of, of solutions out there uh, that are you know really open, from open source and free, and you develop on your own your own platform, all the way to you know hundreds of thousand dollar LMS solutions.
1: Do you have any opinions on them? I mean, you've been in this industry a while. You were a developer at Adobe. Uh, can you? I mean, there's so many vendors to choose from. Can you give us a short list?
2: You know, not really, because what, what they do is so different than what lynda.com does. You know, we're not in the business of creating custom content on proprietary solutions. We are creating content on you know everyday products that uh, large masses of people want to use. So it's really two different businesses. I'm not an expert in that area.
1: Michael Ninnis, VP of content at lynda.com. Thanks for doing this.
2: Hey, thanks for having us.
1: You've been listening to
0: On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, the podcast about how technology is changing the world of communications. To subscribe to the podcast or share feedback, visit us online at ontherecordpodcast.com, on Twitter at On the record, or send email to ontherecordpodcast at gmail.com. On the Record Online is hosted by Eric Schwartzman, An independent online communications consultant whose clients include the U.S. Department of State, the United States Marine Corps, the U.S. Embassy of Greece, the Government of Singapore, Johnson & Johnson, Toyota, Southern California Edison, the Environmental Defense Fund, and dozens of small to medium-sized organizations. For information about engaging Eric Schwartzman as a speaker, social media trainer, or digital strategist, visit www.ericschwartzman.com or send email to eric at ericschwartzman.com